0: Well, good evening, everybody, we welcome you to tonight's edition of the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show. I'm Chris Kerber, glad to have you with us this week. A full show featuring Chris Thorburn coming your way here momentarily as we talk with the former National Hockey Leaguer, the former St. Louis Blue, won the Stanley Cup of the Blues in 2019. He announced his retirement from the NHL just a couple of days ago. We were able to catch up with him. We talk about everything from his first NHL game, and it was a big one, by the way, along with the move from Atlanta to Winnipeg with that franchise, his signing with the St. Louis Blues, his teammates and lifting the Stanley Cup as a Blue, and even some family things that presented challenges for him over the course of the career. That's all coming up with Chris Thorburn here in just a little bit. But as we kick off this week's edition of the Boardwalk Floors Behind the Bench show, we figure we might go through a few other things going on in the world of hockey. Not only is the return-to-play scenario going on, which is, of course, important in Phase 2, Of the league of these cities has been opened up as some players are returning to their home states their home cities and their home facilities to start practicing but coming up still yet this week we could hear the announcement of the two hub cities and where these players will be going to to resume the season we also should hear about the candidates and who was selected to the class of 2020 for the hockey hall of fame but on friday a really big Important, day for a lot of teams in the NHL. That is when the draft lottery is going to be. Now, the draft lottery could be very simple, or it could end up somewhat complicated. We figured we'd take a few minutes here at the beginning of tonight's show to get you set for that draft lottery on Friday. To do that, we need a little context here. The National Hockey League is going to resume play with 24 teams. The bottom eight teams in each conference, and this was selected by points percentage at the pause, they will play in qualifying rounds the four winners in the west the four winners in the east will then join the top four teams in each conference and then the playoffs will resume as we know them four seven game series the top seed play in the eight seed and on from there so that's important to keep in mind as we talk about the draft lottery now there were seven teams that of course did not make the qualifying rounds the bottom seven teams in the stanley cup standings based on points percentage The way the draft lottery works in the National Hockey League is every team that does not make the playoffs has a chance at the first overall pick. That's how you prevent tanking, or you try to prevent it as much as possible. So even though you do have some teams participating in qualifying rounds, the eight teams, four on the East, four on the West, that lose in the qualifying round will still have a chance at the first overall pick. So the way the draft lottery is going to work is this. They will have one drawing, potentially two. The first drawing will be to determine the first three picks in the draft. If the top pick, the second pick, and the third pick all come from the seven teams that are not participating in the qualifying rounds or the buy rounds, then the draft lottery is essentially over. You'll know who's picking one through three. The other four teams will be ranked in reverse order of their points percentage. And then that's the way it will also work for the teams not qualifying for the Stanley Cup playoff rounds that lose in the qualifying rounds. They will be ranked in order, reverse order of their points percentage in the regular season. The complicated part comes is, is if one of the teams that did not play in the qualifying rounds ends up winning the draft lottery. So that means... If there are the four teams from the East and the four teams from the West, and one of those teams, which is given a slot, ends up winning one of the first three picks, well, then the National Hockey League will have a second lottery. That second lottery will be held once those teams are determined, once the teams lose in the qualifying round, and based on that drawing will determine who gets one of those top slots, and then everybody else will be based on the reverse points percentage. So again, it could be a very simple process. It could be a very complicated process. The simple process is if one of the seven teams that is not participating in the resume-to-play scenario, if all of those teams win the top three spots, then the draft lottery is done. But if one of the slotted spots, which is to be determined by the four teams in the East and the four teams in the West, if one of those teams earns a top three pick, then they're going to have to have a second lottery to determine which of the teams that is so seems complicated it's not overly complicated when you simplify it but it is still something where it will be fun to watch because it is a unique scenario now the other aspect to keep in mind is how why is that really important well doug armstrong told us last week not overly important for the st louis blues because you are one of the teams that gets the buy anyway so you aren't participating in the lottery process but it does matter Because if you do end up working a trade with a team, or there are draft picks tied to teams in previous trades, well, those draft picks still go to the teams in those previous trades. And this, of course, determines your ranking, not just for the first round, but for subsequent rounds. So that's where it does at least impact every single team, whether or not some of those teams actually are impacted by how they could move up with a lottery pick or not. And again, that draft lottery is going to be held this Friday. It'll be televised as well, so fans are going to be able to watch it on the NHL network if they would like to see how it plays out in what continues to be just a goofy 2020 season. All right, we will come back in a moment on our Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show, and we'll be joined by former St. Louis Blue Chris Thorburn as we get into a great talk with some memories of his career and also challenges that he faced over that 14-year career. Quick reminder about Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, if you're tired of looking at stained carpet and scuffed vinyl, we would love to help. You increase the style and the value of your home with BoardWalk Cardwood floors. When considering new flooring in your home, real wood is the healthiest option and provides the best long-term value. BoardWalk is a local family-owned business providing quality floors in our community for more than 22 years boardwalk has great floors for every home with better selection better value and the best service don't just take our word for it check out the reviews on google visit any one of our three area showrooms and online at boardwalkhardwood.com we'll take our first break come back and when we come back we're joined by chris thorburn here on the behind the Ben show on 101 espn Welcome back into this week's edition of the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench Show. Chris Kerber with you this weekend. Well, let's turn our attention now to Chris Thorburn, the former St. Louis Blue, now former National Hockey Leaguer. A very solid 14-year NHL career that started when he was drafted in the second round by the Buffalo Sabres. And, of course, he eventually went on to the Atlanta Thrashers, played a little bit with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Then the Thrashers, they moved to Winnipeg. Winnipeg was drafted by Las Vegas in the expansion round, but, of course, he was not signed by them. And then the Blues signed him. And he made an impact on this St. Louis Blues organization and the players in that locker room while being here just a very short time. Remember, he only played 50 games the one year and only one game in the Stanley Cup Championship 2019 season. He, of course, was sent down to the minor leagues. He made the decision to go and to at least finish out his contract, finish out his playing career there. He gets called up. He ends up part of the championship run and was the fourth person handed the Stanley Cup in 2019 after the St. Louis Blues won it. He's a player that retires. With as much respect from his teammates and people that have been around him for how he played the game, the type of person that he is, and the respect that he gave other people as anybody you're going to meet. So for the next uh, 45 minutes, sit back, we're going to talk things over with former St. Louis Blue, who just retired from the National Hockey League. He retires as a Stanley Cup champion, and that, of course, is Chris Thorburn. Chris, how you doing today?
1: I'm doing good, Curbs. Thanks. Appreciate it. I appreciate the intro.
0: You know, let's uh, let's let's start with the, the decision of an athlete that it is time to move on to another chapter. What is that like?
1: Uh, well, I mean, it's it's been it's been in the making for a while for me. So to announce it today, um, you know, there's no different feelings than I've had, uh, you know, recently or in the last year, I guess. But going back to last year, uh, me and the wife we threw it around and um, just kind of. We, we wanted stability, right? And I, I got to the point of my career where that wasn't guaranteed. Um, so it was just a matter of, you know, we had a good run, uh, 16 years as a pro. Um, so it was just the end of the road. Now it's it's time for the other stuff to kick in as far as, like, the kids' stuff and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we're excited about that. I'm, I'm excited. And like I said, I've added a lot of time to get, you know, over that hump as far as, you know, missing the game and stuff like that. So, um it's kind of a good time to do it. Not to say that I don't miss the game, but um, just in a different way, you know what I'm saying?
0: You know, let's let's take everybody back that, that may not quite be as aware of the details of the scenario, but last season, the Blues had to make a roster move and the roster move was to put you on waivers and then there was a, the option. I mean, they tried to keep you around as long as they could. Eventually, though, just by sheer numbers and rosters, they had to send you down to the San Antonio Rampage where you end up playing 40 games for them, but having at that point in time already hit 800 games in your career, you deal with the family situations that you've dealt with an autistic son. And, and, and again, that stability you're talking about, what was the process like for you as both a a player and a father to go through the idea of, do we stop now? Do we go to San Antonio and do we continue this journey for one more year?
1: Yeah, I mean, there were so many things that came into play, but under the circumstances, if you could imagine the best case scenario for a tough situation, the Blues organization and Doug Armstrong gave me the flexibility that I needed to make it work. And without that, I mean, the, the retirement could have came a lot earlier just for how difficult it was as far as, you know, um, being away from the family for that extended period of time. But even going back to camp, what you talked about, uh, me being, uh, put on waivers, um, that camp, I mean, it was the guys that were on the bubble, everybody had an unreal camp, you know what I mean? So there had to be an HUD guy out and, um, I can't fault, uh, Doug Armstrong and the decision that he made because like I said, everyone had a phenomenal camp and it it was tough to pick who, you know, who was going to get put on waivers. It was me eventually, obviously, but, uh, at the same time, he, uh, He kept his word as far as allowing me the flexibility to come home and leave the team. And through him and Kevin McDonald down in San Antonio, they made that year so possible and so, uh, you know, doable, I guess. Um, And allowing me, uh, like on weekends, coming home, checking in with the family, then flying out for games. And it's something that I've never been around, never seen or a player do before. And uh, to allow him to allow me to do that, and to continue my career and finish out the last year of my contract the way they did. And then obviously at the end of it, bringing me up, uh, putting me on the roster the last two weeks of the season. Um, I mean, the way it all ended uh, is well-documented, but at the same time, uh, there's a lot of people that go into making that a possibility. And I was fortunate enough to be uh, around those, those people.
0: It is amazing, isn't it? How certain situations and challenging decisions, even disappointing aspects of it can really turn out to be a, a positive Overall experience in the end?
1: It, yeah, and even going down to San Antonio, it wasn't like it was a terrible experience. You know what I mean? I loved the guys down there. I mean, I laughed every day, um, you know, just because they're starting out their pro careers, whereas I'm finishing off mine and just to see some of their, you know, tendencies and <laughs> habits and to be able to pitch in and kind of guide them a little bit. I, I took a lot of responsibility and, and pride in that kind of uh, position, you know, of where I was in my career and, uh, it goes back to when I was a young kid and the older guys doing it for me. So it was just more of the pass it along kind of thing. And, um, I, at, at the same time on paper, it looks like a bad, like a, you know, a bad situation, but honestly, like I learned a lot. I, I, I'd like to think I helped out a lot, but, um, the, the coaching staff like led by drew Bannister and then obviously the players, uh, Chris Butler was the captain. Jordan Nolan was down there. They had some older guys, uh, you know, that that took me into the locker room. And then the younger guys were, like I said, made me laugh. But at the same time, uh, they asked a lot of questions. And uh, I was there if they needed some some guidance. All
0: right, take us back to when, at probably at one point in time, the beard was more like a five o'clock shadow and not full-grown <laughs> duck dynasty. Uh, back to 2001 and, and what you remember in the experience of just originally being drafted in the second round of the National Hockey League by the Buffalo Sabres.
1: Yeah, it was crazy because, you know, the – there's pre-draft uh, uh, predictions or whatever and rankings and all that. So we had no idea. We we figured uh, we we figured we might have been at the end of the late, late first round, early second, or somewhere's in there. But then you you get to this process and um, there's guys getting taken off the board that you're not even sure of. And it was in Sunrise, Florida, and I had 50 family members there. So we sat through the first day or, the, you know, the first round, and that was, like, hours long. So for me, it wasn't so much that I was disappointed that I didn't get drafted. It was more so the fact that all these people are here. They're sweating. You know, they got suits on. And like, they just looked uncomfortable. So I felt bad from that aspect. Um, and then, obviously, to get selected, uh, you know, 50th overall to Buffalo, a place that's relatively close to home. Um, and I knew some, a few guys in the organizations from playing against them in the OHL where I, where I uh, played my junior career. Uh, It was just a great opportunity. Um, And they took friends, like Derek Roy went uh, in the second round my year. Jason Palminville went in the second round. Um, So we were familiar with each other from some camps throughout. And, uh, yeah, it was just exciting. And once I got drafted and once we got back to the hotel and had the big party, uh, it was was super cool. Great experience.
0: You know, people know of of your time in the National Hockey League, but uh, having been a a guy that broadcasted games in the American Hockey League, I I got some real appreciation for some of those – Older franchises, the Hershey Bears, the Springfield, well, the Indians, the Falcons, the Thunderbirds. Now, where where the Blues are now affiliated, but you played for one too. The Rochester Americans have an, um, I mean, and it's an amazing, amazing hockey history in Rochester, New York, and you got to be a part of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it was such a great organization. When I talk about like when I got taken care of as a young kid, the veterans in that locker room uh, were unreal. Like we had an older team. Um, because the the veteran rule is a little different than it is now, um, so going into that locker room, yeah, it was intimidating. But right away, the guys took us under under uh, myself and Nathan Page were the, like the two younger guys, the two youngest kids on the team, and we lived together. But at the same time, we had a, a network of older veteran players that really took care of us. And obviously, the the franchise is historic, and uh, to be part of that um, was was super cool. And um, yeah, even going back, I still talk to guys that I played with there and we just talk about, like, the, the War Memorial, you know. And yep. thank goodness it was renovated by the time I got there. But I heard stories about it in the past, how you have to take, like, an elevator up to the ice surface and stuff like that. So And those um, boards yeah. were really tall. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But, I mean, when, the the, board, when I was the there. The
0: boards in Rochester used to be really tall, where if you, like, literally you'd step down onto the ice and it could almost be, like, like up to here, not down lower. They were crazy. <laughs>
1: Well what size were the players there? maybe they just were they were smaller some of, the, players. some of them were
0: giants you know oh, were they really no and then, no it was just the way you walked into before the renovations you walked into the some of these older buildings like that and because of you you walked down some of those the boards were not just the normal size they they really they came up a little bit higher yeah it's, I it's one that. of the things I remember in going into that city and, and yeah, checking they, them out it was it was amazing
1: well even when I was in the league too there was some dark place – like some dark arenas, like the lighting was super dark, like Binghamton and Albany, and like there were some, there were some barns, you know what I mean.
0: Oh, yeah. So even playing in the ex- old Hershey Park,
1: no, it was the new arena. Yeah,
0: right the new Olympics arena,
1: chocolate yeah. But uh, playing in the. AHL set me up for what I needed to learn to get to the NHL. Like that, that league when I was there, we had the lockout there in 2004. So there, there was teams in that league that were stacked. You know what I mean? It was, it was good hockey. Like in my era, like my three years down there, like there were some really good talent, really good players. So it was a great league to be a part of. Yeah, and you were a goal scorer down there. Yeah, I, I think I, I played power play too. I think one year I had 50 points. <laughs> you did? Yeah, you, was, you said Yeah, yeah,
0: I, I was a slot guy. <laughs> hey, what? Well, uh, what do you remember about your first career National Hockey League game?
1: Oh, my first career – it was the the first game Joe Thornton got traded from Boston to San Jose, and it was his first game for San Jose. And uh, I uh, I still remember him taking a slap shot from the red line and ringing it off the post on Marty Buran. I think it was Marty Buran. But, uh, yeah, just to see big Jumbo Joe out there. And he played for the Sioux Greyhounds where I grew up, and, you know, as a kid watched him throughout his OHL career. So – Um, for my first game to be against them, that was probably the coolest part of, uh, of my first game. I mean, besides getting called up and all like, you know, the money on the board stuff and all the stuff that kind of goes into it. And, you know, it it was cool.
0: What was it like to be part of a young franchise in the Atlanta thrashers?
1: Uh, Awesome. I mean, Atlanta was a place where, you know, my, my son was born. Uh, we made it home for a bit, uh, and just a great, great community. Um, and then the, the hockey aspect of it it was great because there was no there was no pressure you know like the media pressure and in, uh, in some of the markets that I've played in um, you can kind of go out there and do your own thing sometimes that's a good thing sometimes it's bad but for players that hold themselves accountable and you know pride themselves on their effort it's uh, it's, it's nice because you don't have that outside noise um, and we we did we struggled as a team you know we didn't I, I got there the year after they went to the playoffs and then from that point on we never made the playoffs but as far as the locker room goes there's some great guys in that locker room and again a lot of stuff that I picked up along the way from a lot of
0: those players Well, we'll take a quick break, and we've got a lot to get through yet with Chris Thorburn. As a matter of fact, you know, he went down and he played with the Atlanta Thrashers, which by the time he got there was still a very new franchise. They played in a unique building. On top of that, it was a franchise that moved. We'll talk about that experience when we come back. Here on the Boardwalk, Carver Floors, Behind the Ben Show, on a Wednesday night on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey 101 ESPN. Well, we welcome you back into this weekend hockey here on 101 ESPN, of course, the home of your St. Louis Blues, Stay tuned to all the shows here on 101 ESPN or 101ESPN.com or, of course, Blues.com for all the breaking news as the return-to-play scenarios get closer and closer. Players expected to hit the ice for training camp around July 10th, and just a few weeks later, we should be dropping the puck and play the remainder of the playoffs and the season that is at stake for the defending Stanley Cup champions, St. Louis Blues. All that coming your way a little later on in the month of July right here on 101 ESPN. But we continue with the Boardwalk Carbett Floors Behind the Bench show. We're talking things over with former St. Louis Blue, who just retired a couple of days ago. That would be Chris Thorburn. And, uh, of course, one of the challenges that he went through in his career was the move of a franchise, something those in St. Louis are very familiar with, with, of course, the Rams leaving. Well, Chris Thorburn was with the Atlanta Thrashers when they made the move to winnipeg now if you haven't been down to atlanta they played in a unique building one side was all suites and that was the side that the players bench faced the other side there were no suites it was basically a lower level and an upper level it was kind of a fun building to go to and see and chris thorburn talks about that scenario as well as the ownership issues that eventually led to them moving to winnipeg
1: and that's what it was too we couldn't figure it out because they had all the big companies down there like home depot Coca-Cola, Delta. I mean, they had the, the money. They just couldn't figure it out from the uh, business standpoint. Um, and then going, from, going back to the arena, like you were talking about, with the stands, as a player, you know, the benches are across from it. Right. So, like on a Tuesday night against Florida Panthers, you know what I mean, you're looking at boxes that are empty. So, as a player, it's just like, oh, anybody. But then you look around to the grandstand that you're talking about, and then there'd be like, you know, it'd be filled, full. But right. like, it'd just look empty looking across as a player, just like, holy moly, like, let's go.
0: What what was the move to Winnipeg uh, like for an, for yourself and, and the organization?
1: Yeah, it, it was scary at first, you know, just the unpredictability of, of it all. And um, But they did a good job. Like Kevin off and uh, Mark Chipman, they they did a great job reaching out to players, kind of explaining the process. Um, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't sad to leave Atlanta because, like I said, we, we had made it home. We, we established some roots there. We bought a house. Um, so it, it was tough at first. But then once we got there and we saw the vibe in the city and – I got to understand more about the city and the organization and the people within it. I mean, it was uh, if you can go anywhere, uh, Winnipeg was a spot to uh, to relocate as far as a hockey player. Yeah,
0: how does a how does a player? I mean, I know you guys all you know going in that trades could happen, deals could happen, free agency could happen, you could move around. But but how do you process as a player all the rumblings that go on behind the scenes and then eventually find out that uh, hey, by the way, we're moving the franchise to winnipeg manitoba
1: yeah it was it was weird because that year that february i think i signed an extension so before i signed the extension i wanted to know like the stability of the franchise and uh, the gm and uh like uh rick uh rick dudley and uh don waddell they couldn't really tell me like they're like we don't know so like do you want to do this or not and like i've always prided myself <laughs> throughout my career not never turned down guaranteed money because you never know what's going to happen. Right. So I, I went ahead and signed it and that summer is when we got moved. So yeah, it, it was, it was different. Like, but then you hear, because then Arizona had like a state of the, or a, a city council meeting to see if they were going to move there. So we're all tuned into that. And, you know, they came up with the tax dollars to pay for it, to keep them there. So it was, it was a crazy ride and uh, see it all play out. And when it did, it was just a matter of, you know, all right, it's a, uh, buckle up our bootstraps and pack up.
0: <laughs> so how cool was it, though, instead of sitting on the bench and looking over at empty suites that are literally from the ground to the ceiling of the, the suites as it was there, all of a sudden now you take the ice in Winnipeg and they don't have enough seats and it's a small building and it is loud and all of a sudden the roof comes off the place and, and you've got everybody, their brother, their aunt, their uncle, their son, their kids that aren't even born yet interested in hockey.
1: Right, yeah, and, and I don't want to get misquoted here because Atlanta, th- that building, when it was packed, and it was packed off and just depending on, like, the football season oh, yeah. and all that, it was rocking. Like, the, the, the support from the fans down there was, was great. You wouldn't realize it, but it was unreal. Um, but to answer your question, it, there's not many buildings that would compare to a, a Winnipeg place. Like you said, the crowds are on top of you. It's loud. That first game against Montreal, uh, our first game back, our Jets 2.0, um, was the one of the loudest games to that point that I've ever been a part. I couldn't even hear guys yell for pox, you, it was And it was constant throughout the whole game. You know what I mean? So it, the, the excitement when we initially got there was, was incredible and uh, an experience that I'll never forget. I mean, it, it was crazy.
0: So when you look back on spending 10, 11 years with that one organization, even though it was in two different cities, what does that time that you spent with them mean to you considering the length of time you were there and maybe all the different players that kind of came and, and left while you were there.
1: Yeah, it's something I'm definitely proud of because uh, it doesn't happen often, you know, like that, that long of a term within one organization. Um, like you said, it was part of two cities, but at the same time, uh, it seemed like I, had, I was a constant, you know, like I was – if there was anyone that came to town and they needed help, I was the guy to call just because I, I was familiar with either the area or the organization. So I, I really took pride in that and uh, I still do. I, I'm proud of myself for actually sticking with an organization, but uh, I give thanks to my GMs and my uh, my coaches, uh, although we went through a few in Atlanta, but um, they just always seemed to uh, to take a chance on me and give me an opportunity to continue to grow and, and help me all along the road or, or along the way. So. Um, yeah, someone I'm definitely proud of, but, uh, not without
0: help from, uh, some important people. When did you feel like you belonged in the national hockey league?
1: <laughs> there's, there's, I, I, there's times even now, I'm just like, no way. Like that really happened. You know what I mean? There and for me, curbs, I was always a bubble guy. The, the, I get interviewed before every camp and there, the reporter would always say like, okay, you got, uh, this guy coming in, this guy coming in. Like you think your spot safe, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. there was never that confidence that like, okay, I'm on this roster, like um, I'm a shoo-in kind of thing. It was always like I, t- I just took it as a motivation factor and i got to make this team over and over and over again. And uh, it worked out. That mentality worked for me. and uh, But at no point was I content with my position in the National Hockey League. And I think yes, that's how, what helped how,
0: how me. How does a bubble guy spend 10 years with an organization? I know. I know. But the
1: reporters would just put that in my head because I'm telling you, every camp they would ask me, like, you got these guys coming in, they're invites, but are you nervous about your spot getting taken? It just always created a little bit of fear, which actually prepared me more, you know, so it kind of
0: helped. All right. So did did you anticipate that you could be a selection of the Vegas Golden Knights?
1: No, I had no idea. I didn't even understand the process up to that point. It wasn't until the day of that I started making phone calls and – it was crazy. that That day was nuts because we were on our way to a, a Michigan Adventure. It's called. It's big, like water park, uh, roller coasters, <laughs> and all that. And I got a text from a guy from the PA, and he's like, uh, "If you need any uh, help in uh, Vegas, I'm your guy." And I'm like, "Well, we're going to Michigan Adventure. We're not going to Vegas. You know what I mean?" <laughs> I, and I'm thinking, small minded. I'm not thinking. I didn't. I, I didn't even know if there was a draft. You know, I wasn't paying any attention to it. I mean, I knew of it, but right. So I, t- I called him. I'm like, "Dude, what are you talking about?" He's like. Oh, you have no idea. I'm like, no, what? He's like, well, you're on the sheet for uh Winnipeg's pick to go to Vegas tonight. I'm like, are you? Could... So then my stomach drops that I get, cause I don't know what that entails at the same time. I was, a I I was a free agent, so it didn't really matter. You right. know, I wasn't under contract or anything. I still had to either sign or not sign or whatever. So, um, but yeah, I was, we get to the park and then I'm talking to, uh, Kevin shovel day off and I'm calling my agent. I'm like, Jeez, Pete, I came here to relax with my family, and now I got all these phone calls to make because I have no idea what's going on. But uh, I did. we did fool around with my mom because on the way back, I'm like, Mom, just pay attention to that draft because I don't know what's going to happen. Just keep me posted with the picks. And she, she got home, or she uh, she called me, and she's like, okay, uh, Winnipeg's pick's coming up. And she had no idea. I didn't tell her. I knew. And she went nuts. Like, I got drafted again for the first time. She's like, oh, my God. She's like, congrats Like congratulations. Should I congratulate? I'm like, I don't know. Ma. We're just going to see what happens here. But
0: uh, so we had, we had fun with it. Well then, so you end up not with them, but what what transpired that made St. Louis a pick for you?
1: Well, so during that five day uh, grace period, I guess it is, mm-hmm. or where teams can reach out. Um, you know, we had talked to Winnipeg a little bit. We talked to Vegas a little bit. And then uh, Mike Yo had called me on this, the first day that it opened up. And we had a conversation because uh, me and Yossi were together in Pittsburgh, my, uh, my full rookie season. Uh, so we had some familiarity with each other and I we, we had a conversation and he kind of told me what uh, they were thinking about doing. And, um, and I was just like, Oh my gosh, this awesome opportunity. Cause playing against St. Louis, they're, they're always the top team in the division, great teams, always a chance to run for the cup, you know? So it was just, uh, it was an honor to even get considered. And then we, uh, You know, we checked throughout the whole process. We checked back with Winnipeg and Vegas and all that. and um, You know, sat down, had a conversation with uh, Doug Armstrong and uh,
0: Craig Berube, and,
1: yeah, it just worked out.
0: You know, and then uh, even though you were watching from afar for part of it and still keeping in touch with your teammates, to see the turnaround of a year ago uh, and, and then watch the team go on the run they did, to then come up and, as you said, Doug Armstrong put you on the roster to be a part of that run, uh, e- even at the end, what was it like?
1: Uh, it's, I mean, it's it's pretty well-documented, curves I mean, but I have to say, like, I am so thankful and appreciative. Um, the one thing I, I am or I do regret is not thanking the locker room uh, personally. You know, that's one thing I never did that I wish I can, you know, have a five-minute time block and go back because the way those, those guys in that locker room took me in and made me a part of it and made me feel that way. Uh, I mean, it just, just goes to show you what kind of locker room and how special that, that locker room is and those players are. And I'm, I'll be forever thankful for uh, for them, for that, um, and obviously Army uh, for what he did, um, not only from the hockey side of it, but from the, you know, the medical side of it as far as the, the health coverage. So there's a lot of things that went into it. Uh, And some people that, you know, really pulled some strings and and made it happen. And I'll be forever thankful for it.
0: Yeah, family really does play a large part. in it. I know people are so used to just looking at athletes and players that play a game. And maybe it's just a, a fantasy name or maybe it's just a name on a sheet. But every decision impacts family. As a matter of fact, we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk to Chris about a decision that he almost had to make to retire a couple of years early. We'll talk about that next when we return on the Boardwalk Carver Floors Behind the Bench Show right here on 101 ESPN. And one final time, we bring you back into the Boardwalk Carver Floors Behind the Bench Show. Chris Kerber with you here, joined by Chris Thorburn here for this week, just retiring from the National Hockey League as we talk about the career, some of the stories and experiences he went through over his 14-year career. get back to that in just a quick moment but if you're tired of looking at stained carpet and scuffed vinyl we'd love to help you increase the style and value of your home with boardwalk hardwood floors when considering new flooring in your home real wood is the healthiest option and provides the best long-term value boardwalk is a locally family-owned business providing quality floors in our community for more than 22 years boardwalk has the great floors for every home better selection better value and the best service don't just take our word for it check out the reviews on google visit one of our three area showrooms and online at boardwalkhardwood.com well when we took our break uh, we were talking to chris thorburn about family and uh, a story that some of you may have heard some of you may not but chris i'd I'd like you to kind of retell that story but you know, family is really important, and the support of family it gets into it. And, you know, there was a decision that had to be made a couple of years ago that might have had you retiring a little bit early.
1: Uh, yeah, it's it's tough. No lie, but at the same time, every family has their issues, right? Everybody has problems. how so they deal with it. And I think I'm very fortunate to have a, a wife that I have. Um, she's the one that keeps everything in line. She keeps the train on the tracks. you know. Um, and I couldn't have done any of it without her. Uh, it's just amazing, whether it's road trips or, like you said, moving or the, the last year of going up and down from San Antonio to St. Louis during the times that I was able to come back and her keeping you know the kids in a good place. And uh, it just I, – I just can't – I couldn't thank her enough. But um, I think it's very important to have a support system that uh, really helps you and that you can lean on and, and uh, help you along the way
0: tell the story for for those that don't know it of just uh, even the challenge you sign with St. Louis you get here but if your son was almost not even comfortable to go into the house and how that could have impacted things
1: yeah it was it was crazy he uh he slept in the van the moving van for two nights um and then uh we we did up his bedroom with like rocket because at that point he was into rocket ships and stuff so we just decked it all we Amazon order everything that had to do with rocket ships we pretty much decorated his bedroom into uh like a massive space station and uh, we just we coaxed him up there and he stayed there for a couple hours and then actually our house had a pool which is something my son loves doing so between the pool and then the, the bedroom because you'd only spend a couple hours in there then you'd go back to the pool and then and then with the, uh during that time uh i called my agent actually and i'm like listen mr bart's uh I was like, if I call you in a couple of days, we might have to talk to Army about maybe retiring because I don't know if we'll be able to pull this off. Um, So that was (laughs) – it was a crazy time. And then I called Ray Borelli for the St. Louis Blues, the head uh, therapist, and he hooked us up with a neurologist like right away. And like I said, there's so many people that played a role along my career, and that was just one part of it. But at the same time, hockey's filled with such good people people that are willing to help, and they got us out of that groove, and uh, now we think of St. Louis as one of the best spots to live as a family. I mean, we absolutely love it.
0: And you, did you find a good autism support here?
1: We did, yeah. Uh, There's a place called the Thompson Foundation that we uh, got in touch with through Scott Mellenby. Um, they were a, a, a group that we were able to lean on. Um, and then Bennett's school itself, uh, Ms. Weber, she was, she's been in a couple articles and we've mentioned her a few times, uh, as far as her being Bennett's constant, she, Bennett absolutely fell in love with her. And for the school part of it, it was, it it couldn't have worked out any better. She's just a very vibrant person and a caring and loving person. And she took Bennett under his wing and, um, and I mean, they still talk now, you know, so it's, we miss her a a bunch, but we, we, we had a lot of people that we, uh, came across and uh, definitely helped us out.
0: Did you know you were going to be one of the first guys to be given the Stanley Cup when that thing was won? I
1: did not expect it. Um, I, 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 no, I didn't. And and I would have been totally fine with that. I, that's just being a – not a hockey historian, but a, a, like respect for the way the process works. I mean, there's no way – that I could ever be mad if I, if I got it like second to last. I mean, but at the same time, David Perron said something to me that morning after team meal to get ready to put my equipment on. And I don't know if you heard the story, but told me to get my – be ready to put my equipment on. And I'm like, you know, just go do your thing. Good luck, man. Yeah, let's go get it, you know. And sure enough, obviously we win. And David Perron finds me through the crowd, and he's pushing me – like he's pushing me towards the cup. And this is like when – Bo had it and he's pushing me and I'm like two bladed stopping, like, cause I'm like, no, go do it, man. I'll get, it, I'll get it. And he's like, no, you're getting it. And then Steiner obviously had it and he hands it off to me. And I'm like, well, I'm like, if I get caught on TV, snow plowing towards the Stanley cup, that's almost, that's embarrassing in itself. You know what I mean? So I'm like, all right, all right, I right, I'm gonna do it. And then Steiner passes it off to me, man. And then, you know, I, I, I throw it up and then I'm able to pass it off to DP who, you know, kind of initiated it and, um, very thankful for that.
0: The uh, you you can win, you can be a part of a lot of great moments, but moments like that that show the respect that your teammates had for you th- does that mean more than anything?
1: That's 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 the most. I mean, and I even get in Texas today and just people telling me how much they respect me and how what a joy it was to be a teammate and what a great teammate. I mean, that's the best compliment I, I could have ever asked for. I mean. You'd love to be a 50-goal scorer or a Hall of Famer, but at the same time, if someone respects you as a person and they think highly of you, that, that was my main goal. That's the way I was brought up. And uh, to be able to say that I was a respected person in the locker room, um, that means a lot to me, yeah.
0: Man, we haven't even had a chance to get into your broadcasting career. No. Oh, partner, one and oh. one and Well, hey, oh. 1-0 and it's a playoff game.
1: Uh, the boys took care of us. They, they took care of me. That was an easy game to call. What was it, like 5-1? Was it 5-1? Yeah, that's yeah. right. It was game five, uh, game
0: five against game San Jose. Five. Game yeah, five I remember against that. San Jose. But you it, know what? But even then, Chris. I, I got to tell you, and it, it's one of those aspects of the game. Again, when you go to the respects part, when when Joe, for a medical reason, had to stay back and couldn't go to game five in San Jose – you know, we were looking around, well, what, do you, what do you do? And, and here you are. You're traveling with the team and coming anyway. So we went to Army and said, hey, what, what about Thorbs? And he goes, that'd be a great idea. Holy smokes, as soon as the players in that locker room found out you were doing the game, I'll bet you half of them, more than half of them, probably wanted to listen to the game. I got, I got asked <laughs> by more guys after the game. Here they are. They win game five. You take a right. three-to-two series lead in the conference finals. Go down to the locker room afterwards. You're congratulating some guys. I don't want to talk about anything else. They go, hey, how Thorbs do? How was he? How was he? So they <laughs> they, they I said the as soon as he got oh, the microphone untangled in his beard, we were off and
1: running. <laughs> they got tangled. And that was a tight, tight spot to operate in, too. Actually, that's those right. Were like, uh, those weren't so uh, like, uh, yeah, that was a tough spot. But no, oh, that's funny, man, because yeah, when I even when I went into the locker room, would be like, yeah, right on, boys, right on. They're like, how did it go? How did it go? I'm like, and same thing that you're saying. I'm like, dude, you guys just played unreal. The one fun, like. It just, like I said, it tells a lot about that locker room and it, it, it was a special place, man.
0: And for the fans to you know what I'm talking about is when you, when you put those headphones on, you put them on like this. And, or, you know, so if on the radio side of your listening, you know, it covers your ears and then the microphone droops down and it got kind of stuck behind his beard and that thing was so thick you couldn't pull that thing back up. <laughs> I don't know.
1: I was saying too, one of the – I did an interview uh, last week, I think with Ribs uh, on ESPN, and I was saying – uh I look at pictures now, like then I thought my beer looked awesome. Like I thought it was nice and tight and like, but now I'm looking at pictures from back then. I'm like, that was absolutely disgusting. It was like <laughs> raunchy because it was just like straggly and like, uh, my head, my head looked like this big, you know?
0: So you're going to have a uh, Stanley cup aspect of a side. Um, what, what, what's, what's one or two of your, your, all-time favorite moments in hockey? as an NHL player? Is there a game? Is there a moment or a couple conversations? What, what stands out to you? Oh man. Or, or what's, not, what's a, one it, of your favorite stories to
1: tell? Yeah, Well, the, getting drafted was the, like, is up there. Um, there, but there's so many personable encounters or conversations that I've had that not trumpet, but like I, I take more value in it just because, uh, of the people that I chatted with or the conversations that we had. So, or the experiences, even like, the, uh, you know, going out for dinners on the road and hanging out with the guys or hanging out in your, uh, uh, hotel rooms, you know, just that camaraderie. And when, when we talked earlier about missing it, that's the part that I miss the most. And every player that retires from any sport will say that, um, is the camaraderie. But I, I just loved hanging out with the guys, whether, like I said, it was in my hotel room or, you know, dinner or a bar or, you know, it was just uh, a place where you can kind of let your guard down and just be you. Um, and not goof off, but just have a good time. But yeah, no one specific. Cause if yeah. I say one specific, I'll go on for uh, you.
0: Yeah, I, I, yeah. Who are some of the people that, uh, that you'd like to thank the most for the success and career you've had?
1: There's a, obviously my parents, uh, my wife, it's, it's well, um, uh, yeah. What they did for me, my brothers and sisters too, I was the oldest of five. So I always got the new equipment, you know, they got the hand-me-downs, um, you know, my tournaments, my stuff as a kid growing up, they, they made a lot of sacrifices to allow me to do. And that's what I included in my quote is they, they allowed me to chase my dream and they had to make sacrifices at young ages too. And like I said, um, they got the hand-me-down equipment. and um, But outside of my family, curbs I mean there's you could imagine there, there's so many people that helped me along the way to, to name names would uh, I'd almost feel guilty when we hang up just because I know I'd forget somebody and that's why I kind of kept my quote little um not dull but like I did not want to be too specific because right if I'm gonna I want to make sure that like everybody who has taken a part can feel it and I just don't I couldn't put that on paper just because there, there were so many people that you know boosted me throughout uh, throughout my career and even before my career, my early days.
0: So what's next?
1: I I, I want to stay in the game, Kerbs, and I don't miss the game in the sense of dumping a puck in and going and chasing it for like the <laughs> tenth on like the tenth time, you know what I mean? Or like going in on the check and even just putting on my equipment. Um, I miss the game. I miss being around the game. I miss the people, um, even outside of the locker room, the trainers, the the media side of it. Um, I just miss that environment. Um, so to get a to get a job uh, with an organization, I do want to be a part of a team. You know what I mean? Like I want to still strive to get somewhere, reach a goal. So to be a part of a team would be ideal. And uh, yeah, just something to do with hockey. I, I Like I said, I did enjoy working with the young kids, even though I was their teammate. I still felt like I could, I helped them a little bit with some guidance or some advice or whatever. So if it was with the prospects or an NHL club, I mean that's that's kind of where where my head's at.
0: So you definitely like the the, the hockey ops side of it. Whether you're just just going to get into and want to try and even yeah. learn more, just how how the business and hockey ops side all comes together.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think I got a pretty good grasp on it. I've been through a lot of things throughout my career. Like I've been traded, put on waivers. Uh, you know, just from the mental side of it. Uh, also, like a, there's stuff that I have that I can offer uh, kids, especially or the prospects, especially um but like i said being a part of a team would be would be ideal because like i said you can strive for something and achieve something and that's the ultimate you
0: know well based on that comment the good news is if you get into coaching and and eventually become a head coach dump and chase won't be your game right people are <laughs> no, skill based
1: east, east west we're going east west we're going like the russian five yeah, you got to pass it 15 times before you score um but uh <laughs> i forget what i was going to say. But, uh, uh, Coaching does intrigue me, but at the same time, I think that would be later on down the road when the kids are older. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I wouldn't want to jump into that right away. But uh, if I could stay in the game, just keep tune- like fine-tuning, uh, you know, my skills and stuff that way.
0: Well, listen, I, I, I know you played for Buffalo, for Pittsburgh, for Atlanta, Winnipeg, uh, and and it was just a two-quick-year period with the St. Louis Blues. One of the great parts about being a part of the St. Louis Blues is once you're part of it, it's an amazing family and – and you you know most a lot of the Blues alumni now. You know how tight it is, and you're now part of the St. Louis Blues alumni. So you've got this extended family for life, which is awesome. And, uh, man, it was a co- two quick years, but it's been just awesome getting to know you, getting to spend some time with you, and your attitude, your positivity, your outlook, and everything is really something special. C- congratulations on a, on a terrific, terrific career. And what a way to end it uh, by, by knowing that you lifted the Stanley Cup. Congratulations, Chris.
1: No, Curbs, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. It was great getting to know you guys too, man. And like you said, short, short time, but at the same time, it felt like a uh, longer than it lasted, I guess.
0: it is awesome. Hey, th- best of luck to you. We know we'll be talking to you down the road here.
1: You better, Curbs. You better be checking in on me. All right. I uh, we'll we'll it. do
0: it. Thank you, my man. I appreciate it. All right,
1: Curbs. Thank you. Take care, buds.
0: Well, there you have it. A great chat with former St. Louis Blue Chris Thorburn, who is now a member of the St. Louis Blues alumni. Another great organization and group of guys to be a part of. My thanks to you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Boardwalk Harbor Floors Behind the Bench show. We come your way every Wednesday night from 6 to 7 p.m. Don't forget this weekend. Hockey comes your way every Tuesday night from 6 to 8. We've got Blues hockey coming up around the corner. Training camp will open up around the 10th of July. Until then, stay safe everybody. Have a terrific rest of your week and we'll talk to you again next week right here on 101 ESPN.